I'm back. My oh my, what a wonderful day. the courage of men fails when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship but it is not this day Yay! mr bluebirds on my shoulder it's the truth it's actual everything is satisfactory happy days are here again the skies above are clear again let us sing a song of cheer again happy days are here again forget your troubles come on get happy you better chase all your cares away shout hallelujah come on get happy get ready for the judgment day Right, the happiness montage. We haven't had a chance to use that for a while. <laughs> it's nice to have it back. And now to the news of the day. An aide to Donald Trump has suggested the Republican frontrunner should begin trying to behave in a more presidential manner as the convention nears. Trump responded by saying, quote, you know, that's not really such a bad idea. Now I'm kind of sorry I beat her to death when she suggested it. Trump said he would immediately formulate a plan to be the most presidential candidate ever by using his very good brain instead of the one he's been using. He said there would be no more childish name-calling, schoolyard bullying, or groundless bragging from now until the end of the sentence. Trump said he had only resorted to these rough tactics because the GOP had treated him unfairly by asking him hard questions and insisting he follow the party rules. He said, quote, it's ridiculous that I should win so many delegates and then have the nomination stolen away from me just because someone else ends up with more delegates than I have. My delegates are the best delegates and should count more than ugly delegates or women. Trump said he would prove his presidentialness by adding some details to his policy suggestions. For instance, instead of just saying he would fix all of America's problems, he would say he would fix them very fast and in a good way. And instead of simply blaming our economic problems on the Chinese, he would blame some other people as well, maybe the Jews or Mexicans, he wasn't sure. But in any case, it would be someone very presidential to blame. After giving his statement, Trump got into his limousine and backed over several of his supporters who said the incident only proved that their candidate wasn't afraid to be politically incorrect by crushing them beneath his tires. They now plan to vote for him twice, once with each half of their bodies. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> right. So don't leave Trump people. If there are any Trump people still listening, I have something to say. I was at an amazing event last night, and I'm going to talk about it for the end of the show and may even say something semi-nice about you, if not your, your candidate. All right, but first, let's hear from Hillsdale, our favorite people at Hillsdale College. The American presidency is the most powerful office in the world, but it isn't a monarchy. What? Wait a minute. Did, did, has Obama, has anybody told Obama this? So many current candidates view the presidency as the accumulation of all three powers, legislative, executive, and judicial. That is not how the framers designed it. I, I hope Obama is listening to this and be going like, what, wait, wait, what, what? You can learn about the separation of powers and how to restore constitutional restraints in a free Hillsdale College course. Presidency and the Constitution. You can get it at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. 
Sign up for free at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew, and you get a new lesson every week right in your inbox from Hillsdale's professors and learn how the Constitution protects us from would-be dictators or would if anyone would read the Constitution. But go back and take the Hillsdale Constitution class, and then you can take the presidency class, right? All right. So we've endured, you know, I went away because they were redoing our studio. They were going to give me this fabulous new studio. And you may notice if you're watching uh, that it's not quite done yet. I'm broadcasting. If it looks like I'm broadcasting from just this black, empty space, that is absolutely true. There's no gravity here. There's sometimes things are going to float by. People, producers will go by. And it's going to be, it's going to be very strange because my studio is still under construction. But if you were to look over there, you would see the, the quart dwarves are coming in the guy from uh, the guy the little guys from game of thrones the, the harem is being assembled so it's going to be an absolutely fabulous space when we're done with it so anyway the clavenless week though it, it wasn't so bad it wasn't it wasn't a tragedy i mean my spirit hovered over it you know keeping keeping things together we had we had wisconsin wisconsin was all right and uh, oh. <laughs> the happiness montage all right all right <laughs> <laughs> Enough of the happiness montage. The Wisconsin had Ted Cruz won big, so making it uh, look pretty difficult that uh, Donald Trump, it looks like it's going to be hard for Trump to get all the delegates he needs by the time, <laughs> we're, we're just very happy here, you know, this is, this is happy, it's like Disneyland, it's the happiest, happy, it's the happiest place on earth, uh, so this, it's going to be tough for Trump to, to get what he wants, and now all he's doing, he is whining, whining from this guy, but I will, I will come back and say something almost nice by the end of this, if you hang on to the end of the show. So I was in New York, and this is the first time that the New York primary, which is in like nine days or something like this, first time this has meant anything since I think George Washington ran, you know, like a, usually by this time it's wrapped up, which only points to what an incredible election this is. It's just, so it's really interesting, you know, because New York has a, a big street life. You walk a lot in New York. You're on the pavement in New York. And that means that you see the newspapers. And so the newspapers become very powerful, especially the tabloids, because they have these big headlines. So the big thing there is, you know, that Ted Cruz uh, said about Donald Trump's New York values. He made that diss about New York values. So, of course, there's still debate. You know, this is like New York. They're still debating this. The Daily News runs a, a headline that says, hey, Ted, take the F.U. train. <laughs> and, that's, and, this, and you walk by and you see these big headlines. And they, they actually have an effect, more of an effect, I think, than the TV news. I think because they just, like, you know, if you're in Manhattan, which is not all of New York, obviously, there's still a, New York is a huge state with a lot of conservatives up in the countryside. But you just see this these tabloids. So it really is having an effect. So Trump's uh, so Cruz's plan now, you know, he actually he was on Jimmy Kimmel a few weeks ago. And he, he's actually told Kimmel told him his strategy because now suddenly the, the, the GOP establishment is actually lining up behind Cruz, which is insane because Cruz has called them the surrender, you know, chorus, and he's just, he called McConnell a liar. I mean, he's just been so nasty to the GOP, and now they've got nothing else. See, the GOP has this fantasy. Their fantasy is this. They're going to go to the convention, and there's going to be an open convention. Trump won't have the delegates, and Cruz won't win on the second. And, and from the ceiling, 
Paul Ryan is going to descend or Mitt Romney. And it's like there'll be that there'll be the hallelujah chorus again. You know, they'll come down and Ryan will descend from the ceiling and save the Republican Party. And everyone will will be happy once again. I'm not not so sure, but but it is an amazing thing to see the Republican establishment that Cruz has just, you know, just hammered lining up behind him. And he discussed this with Jimmy Kimmel. Play the play the Kimmel clip because it's very funny. Donald Trump has an amazing ability to clarify everything. And we're seeing now Republicans coming together, unifying behind our campaign. You know, just a week ago, Lindsey Graham hosted an event for me, and, and I joked at the beginning, I said, listen, this, this, is, this is a first. This is the first event I've ever had hosted by someone who three weeks earlier publicly called for my murder. That is interesting. Yeah, what you did is you kind of held out until they found someone that they liked less than you. Uh, There there you go. Listen, that's uh, whatever you have to do. It it, it is a powerful strategy, and and compared to Donald, I am the quiet, shy, soft-spoken one. That's that is amazing. That's exactly what he's done. He's like they've just lined up behind it. Like I said, they have this fantasy that some establishment figure is going to save them, and that. Republican voters will stick with that. They'll come, they'll show up at the polls. Ain't going to happen, I don't think. But the big news, the big news this weekend, I think, was the Democrat side, because was on the Democrat side because Obama gave this exclusive interview to Chris Wallace at Fox News and was talking really bizarrely, in a way, about Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was on with Matt Lauer a few days ago, and Lauer made this remark that Republicans are fantasizing about seeing her in handcuffs. Do we have that clip? Do you know what I hear a lot? They are clinging to the hope that the way they'll be able to deal with that is that at some point between now and the election, and they say this, they say this, that they will get to see Hillary Clinton in handcuffs. Oh my goodness. That there will goodness. be some kind of political perp walk oh, based so... on your private. That, well, Matt, I know that they live in that world of fantasy and hope because they've got a mess on their hands on the Republican side. That is not going to happen. There is not even the remotest chance that is going to happen. But look, they've been after me, as I say, for 25 years. And they have said things about me repeatedly that have been proven to be not only false, but kind of ridiculous. But you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer. So how do you see this ending? Do you think the FBI and the Justice Department write you a letter and say it was a misunderstanding? We're sorry. Carry on. Well, we're certainly going to carry on. I I think it's, it's, it's a security review. It is a security review. And there are lots of those that are conducted in our government all the time. It's a security room, 150 G-men. That's what she's saying, basically. You'll never take me, G-men. I'm out of here. She has that tell. You know, in poker, you have a tell. If people are, sometimes if people are bluffing, they scratch their eyebrow or something like this, and it gives it away to a careful player that the guy is bluffing. She has this tell. Whenever she's about to lie, she lets loose that cackle, you know? And every time it happens, I just wish a house would fall on her, you know? Like, (laughs) it's like in her toes would curl up under the house. (laughs) You know, oh my gosh, it's over. So now... Obama shows up at Chris Wallace's place, and Wallace says to him, you know, weeks ago or a long time ago, you said that there was no violation of classified documents. We, she hasn't put our security, Hillary Clinton hasn't put our security in danger. You still believe that now that 2,000 emails are show, have, shown to be, have been shown to be classified that were in her private server. So here's Obama's answer. Here's what I know. Hillary Clinton was an outstanding Secretary of State. She would never intentionally put uh, America in any kind of jeopardy. 
And what I also know, because I handle a lot of classified information, uh, is that there are there's classified and then there's classified. There's stuff that is really top secret, top secret, and there's stuff that is being presented to the president or the secretary of state that you might not want uh, on the transom uh, or you know, going out over the wire, but is basically stuff that you could get in open source. But last and October, and you I were prepared to say uh, she hadn't jeopardized, well, and the question is, well, can you still say that? I continue to believe that she has not jeopardized America's national security. Now, what I've also said is that, and she's acknowledged, that there's, there's a, a carelessness in terms of managing emails that she has owned. So there's classified and then there's classified. There's rape and then, but it's not rape, rape. It wasn't that Whoopi Goldberg's defense. So that, that's essentially a legal defense that Obama's making. Obama is saying, because intent, a lot of people don't know this, intent is very important in the law. To commit a crime, frequently you either have to have intended to commit the crime or you have to have done something so careless that you should have known the crime was going to be committed. Now, she had a private email server, which is against the rules, against State Department rules. Did she not know that the Secretary of State was going to get classified documents? I mean, she didn't have an official server. You know, she didn't have any place they were sending her documents. So, I mean, I think he's he's making this very legalistic defense of what she did, which has got to be sending a message to this, the Justice Department and the FBI of where he stands on this. But then, then Wallace says to him, well, will there be any political shenanigans? So play the second cut. Some people, I think, are worried whether or not the decision, whether or not how to handle the case will be made on political grounds, not legal grounds. Can you guarantee to the American people, can you direct the Justice Department to say Hillary Clinton will be treated as the evidence goes, she will not be in any way protected? I can guarantee that. And, and I can guarantee that not because I give uh, Attorney General Lynch a directive, that is institutionally how we have always operated. I do not talk to the Attorney General about pending investigations. I do not talk to FBI directors about uh, pending investigations. The, uh, we have a strict line uh, and always have maintained it, previous so, presidents. Ju just to button this up. I you, guarantee it. You, I guarantee that there is no political influence in any investigation conducted by the Justice Department or the FBI, not just in this case, but in any case. And she will be full stop, period. And she will be treated no differently? Guaranteed, full stop. Nobody gets treated differently when it comes to the Justice Department because nobody is above the law. Okay. Hold that thought, all right? Hold that Obama thought in ju for just a moment while we turn to our other favorite sponsor, Reagan.com. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, we love our sponsor. We're so happy to have our <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> the happiness montage. I hope we have a more reason to use that as we go forward. If not, we're, we're milking it for everything. We put it, it was hard to put together. We're milking it for everything it's worth. All right, your privacy is under attack. There's no doubting this. The big tech companies scan your emails and target you with unwanted advertising. I don't know if you don't if you you may not want it, but I don't want it, and I certainly don't want you to have it. So stop. Government agencies are taking you know any piece of information they can. They collect it at the NSA. They've got everything, and they always say, "Oh, we're not going to use it for any 
bad purposes, and who would not trust the government? When you look at the government's sweet, innocent face, who would not trust them? Or if you don't want to trust the government and these companies, you can take back your privacy by getting an email address at Reagan.com. What you will do is you will get your name at Reagan.com as your private email address. So you'll be able to put President Reagan's name on all your emails, which always is going to improve your emails. And you will know that your emails will never be scanned or shared with third parties. How do you do it? Well, you go to ReaganPrivacy.com and secure a personal private email address, ReaganPrivacy.com. And if you do it right now, you get two free bonus months at ReaganPrivacy.com. Protect your privacy. All right, let's get back to Obama. He says, I guarantee it, full stop, no one's above the law. Yes, I just sent a message that, you know, I don't think she broke the law. And how he would know this, I don't know. I mean, he says he's not talking to the FBI. He says he's not talking to the Justice Department about this at all. But he feels, you know, that she hasn't broken the law. You know, Obama is such a plausible speaker. When you go back, and of course, you know, this is something that you have to do if you're broadcasting or just writing about it. If you go back and try and catch him in a lie, it's it's almost impossible to catch him in a direct statement. He almost never says anything direct. And frequently, the things he does say are impossible to, uh, you know, it's impossible to, to attach them to a fact when he does make a direct statement. So right now, he says nobody's above the law. I guarantee it. Full stop. Let's go back in time. Let's go back in the Wayback Machine here, the Claven Wayback Machine, and, and just remember what it was like when the IRS was exposed for having delayed, purposely delayed, tax-exempt status to only conservative groups to prevent them from speaking with tax-exempt status during an election year, okay? This, this scandal would have defined any other presidency. This scandal, I mean, to misuse the IRS, the IRS is the most powerful agency in the company, in the country. You could wake up and find them in, sitting at the foot of your bed, basically, and saying, by the way, we're repossessing your sheets, so, you know, you might want to get up and put your, you know, your warm pajamas on. They can do virtually anything they want. We trust them not to be fair and straightforward, and they weren't. They targeted conservative groups. Any other president, I mean, play the substitution game. If if George W. Bush's IRS under if the IRS under George W. Bush had targeted liberal groups, the New York Times, a former newspaper, would have published a book the next day. It would have been a big black book with white stark letters on it called, called The Road to Tyranny. Remember, there's a little kerfuffle at Abu Ghraib. A couple of people got out of hand and you know mistreated some prisoners. The next day, almost, the New York Times had this huge black book in bookstores wrapped in plastic. There's white, scary letters in the road to torture. You know, it's like as, as if, you know, we were like to routinely beating people and sticking cigarettes in there. You know, we don't like you, Muslim. You know, we're going to hurt you. You know, it was nonsense. But the IRS scandal vanishes, okay? Let's just go back in the Wayback Machine and look at Obama's first response, because he knew it. He knew that this was would have gotten any other president, if not impeached, certainly would have hobbled his presidency. So let's take his, the, his first reaction. This, this is pretty straightforward. If, in fact, uh, IRS personnel engaged in uh, the kind of practices that have been reported on uh, and were intentionally targeting uh, conservative groups, then that's outrageous. And there's no place for it. Uh, and 
you know, they have to be held fully accountable because the IRS, as an independent agency, requires absolute integrity, and people have to have confidence that they're applying it in a nonpartisan way. Period. Full stop. Absolutely, I guarantee it. This is outrageous. It's outrageous. Okay, now the investigations begin. The investigations begin the IRS. <clears throat> and the IRS stonewalls. Lois Lerner's, remember her server crashed and the important emails disappeared. Lois Lerner, she was the one in charge. She's not the head of the IRS. She was the one in charge of the exemption division. She was the one who was doing this. She gets up and she takes the Fifth Amendment. She takes the Fifth Amendment. She's held in contempt of Congress because... She first made a statement putting forward her side of it and then takes the Fifth Amendment saying, well, I, but I can't be cross-examined, which is not the way the Fifth Amendment works. You know, if you take the Fifth Amendment, you have to say nothing. So she first makes a statement defending herself. Paul Ryan, well, you know, I, I just remember this, the Paul Ryan just going absolutely nuts on the IRS chairman who sat there with a smirk, that smirk of corruption. You see it in Chicago polls and Louisiana polls all the time, that smirk of corruption. Ryan is hammering him, saying, you lied about this. These emails disappeared. You stonewalled here. Well, you know, that's that's the way, you know, I'm the IRS. You can't touch me. Okay, this the whole thing goes through stonewalling, contempt of Congress, Fifth Amendment, and here's Obama comes back after it's all over because he knows the press has dumped it. He, the press is no longer covering it, no headlines, no big black book with the white letters, and Obama comes back. Play the second cut. These kinds of things keep on surfacing, in part because you and your TV station will promote them. But, but, but when folks actually are unanswered questions? Bill, when you actually look at the stuff, there have been multiple hearings on it. What happened here was is that you've got, no a, you've got a 501c4 law that people think is confusing. No, that the folks did not know how to implement okay. because it basically says so you're saying if you're no, involved no corruption there at all no that's not what i'm flat. saying that's actually no no but i want to know what you're saying you're the leader absolutely. of the country you're saying no corruption no not no there were some there were some boneheaded decisions boneheaded out, decisions. Of, out of a but local no office. mass corruption not even mass corruption not even a smidgen of corruption obviously. okay not a smidgen of corruption. That's outrageous. Not a smidgen of corruption. That's outrageous. The full stop. There, nobody will be treated. There's not a smidgen of corruption. I mean, he just knows that the press, when it comes to Obama, the press is amnesiac. They're amnesiac. They have not. So after that interview he just gave to Chris Wallace, I would say that the there is a vanishingly small chance of Hillary Clinton getting indicted, certainly before she's elected. I would say that unless the FBI has her on influence peddling, unless it has her actually dead to rights selling the services of the State Department for money, which I believe she did. I believe she did it with the uranium, com uranium company when the Clinton Foundation got over $2 million and Bill got you know half a million dollars in speaking fees so that the Russians could get a pass to buy up 20% of our uranium sources in Canada. I believe she did that. But unless they have her on that, pretty unlikely. She may, after, she may be Nixon. She's kind of girl Nixon, you know. You may, she may get elected and then get investigated if the Republicans still hold Congress. Uh, but, she, but I don't think it just, that, that to me is Obama signaling both the press and the Justice Department that nothing is going to happen to her. All right, let me just pause and tell you about this event. I was at this amazing event last night. I debated Jesse Lee Peterson, one of my favorite people on the right, just a guy of absolute integrity and one of the most politically incorrect human beings I have ever seen. I have never met a man with so much, like, 
it's beyond courage because I don't even think he thinks about it, you know? He's kind of like one of those, like John Glenn, they said his heartbeat didn't even go up when they shot him into space, you know? Jesse Lee Peterson is like that politically. He has very, I don't always agree with him, he has very biblical views about marriage that are really biblical, and he talks openly about women being, you know, submissive to men, and, you know, the what does he say? He says the children are under the woman, and the woman is under the man, and that's, you know, that's it, you know? And he just, these things come out of his mouth where even I, who will say almost anything, even I sometimes talk to Jesse and I'm like, wait, Jeff, Jeff, you know, drop your voice, drop your voice. So he's a Trump supporter. And the other thing about Jesse is he's one of the, he's got this incredible sense of humor and this incredibly impish way of dealing with people where he debates you like he'll kind of needle you, but he does it with such a good sense of humor that even as he's kind of getting under your skin, you can't help but laugh. Okay, so he invites me to a debate. He's supporting Trump. I'm supporting Cruz and I'm, I'm very much against Trump. And he, and here's this guy that I really like and respect. And so you, you're going to talk to this guy and tell him, uh, as, as Michael Knowles, our, our, one of our writers here, said to me, he said, how do you tell a man you like and respect so much that he's lost his mind, you know? So I walk in, and it's standing room only. I mean, it's not a big room, but it's packed. And everybody's there, and there's, I would say it was about 50-50 Trump crews. And he just ran this debate, Jesse ran this debate with such goodwill and such good nature that... Nobody could really get angry. You know, nobody could really get angry. But I was not alone in noticing that of the two sides, the people with the more angry-looking fa faces and the people who were more intense when they would ask questions, because there was a big question-and-answer uh, period at, at some point, were the Trump, the Trump supporters. The Trump supporters looked angrier, and they just were kind of more intense and defensive. But I was thinking about this because... I get attacked all the time for this Trump derangement syndrome. And to me, Trump derangement syndrome is actually realism. And I was thinking, you know, we are saying something different. I am saying something different to Trump supporters than Trump supporters are saying to me. If I were in an argument with somebody about any other candidate, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, anything, we'd be debating issues, we'd be debating, you know, character a little bit, you know, but experience, we'd debating, be debating the things we usually debate. I am saying to people that Trump is a bad guy. It's, it, it, I, I said he's a fascist, and Jesse said, well, you're calling him a name, and I said, no, I'm actually describing him. You know, it's not calling Bernie Sanders a name to say he's a socialist. He's a socialist. It's not calling Trump, I didn't say he is an actual fascist. I said he has a fascist element to his personality that really frightens me. So it's not really fair to say that Trump supporters are angry per se because we are saying something offensive to them. I, you know, I am. I am saying something offensive to them. And I keep getting tagged for this online. People keep saying, oh, he has Trump derangement syndrome, Trump, Trump derangement syndrome. There used to be a show on television when I was like a tiny tot. It was called Marcus Welby, MD. It was a doctor show. And I always, even as a little tiny kid, it used to make me laugh because whatever, every time there was a patient on the Marcus Welby show, he would get exactly the disease that hurt him most. So like, you know, if he was a tennis player, he'd get like cancer of the elbow, you know, it's like if he was a radio announcer, he'd get, you know, terminal laryngitis, whatever it was, he, you know, he was going to get that, that one thing. This election has been like that for me because I don't really care which Republican wins. I know other people go nuts, but I just want a guy who's basically conservative. I want the, I'm like, you know, William F. Buckley, I want the most conservative candidate who could win. There were people 
in this very office who are saying, oh, if Jeb Bush wins, I'm, you know, leaving the country. I didn't feel that way at all. I just felt like, you know, he's not my favorite candidate, Jeb, but I'd have voted for him. I'd have been happy to vote for him. I'd have been happy to vote for Scott Walker. I'd have been happy to vote for anybody who's going to basically follow the rules of the Constitution. I think that they're following the rules of the Constitution. Trump is that guy. He is my Marcus Welby disease. Trump is the one person who has gotten me to the point where I have to say, no, this guy is not a constitutional guy. He is not a constitutional character. I do not have a derangement syndrome because I don't get deranged about candidates. I may be wrong. I may be misreading him entirely. You know, I'm only a person. I may be just get, you know, not getting him right. And when he calls for people to be beaten up, maybe I'm just you know, missing the point here. You know, Jesse, one of these people that I, like I said, I just, I love the guy. I respect the guy. You know, he said, no, you know, I didn't mind that so much. I didn't mind that. You know, I, I, I don't see it. But I do understand that I am insulting people when I say this. I want you to understand that I'm only saying, I would, I would kill not to be saying it. I'm only saying it because I think the guy is dangerous. If I didn't think he was dangerous, if I didn't think he was dangerous to our republic, believe me, I wouldn't waste a moment of sleep. Uh, over Donald Trump or any other candidate, because I don't put my faith in in princes. I don't put my trust in princes to save us. I put my trust in the Constitution and in us to save us. So if I didn't think Trump was dangerous, I'd keep my mouth shut. But it was a great event. It's going to be on YouTube on Wednesday. It was filled with goodwill because of Jesse and because of the way he runs it. And uh, I, I recommend it. Maybe I'll bring in a couple of cuts and maybe we'll post it on the on the Daily Wire. Stuff I like. We're back with stuff I like. I was thinking, what can I do? You know, I, I don't really keep a record of the stuff I like. I have it kind of basically laid out, so sometimes I may repeat myself. And this one I may have said before, but I don't care. This is what I'm going to do this week with stuff I like is bad movies I love, okay? Bad movies I love. And these are not movies that are so bad they're good. These are bad movies that are good, okay, which is different because they're movies like they stole Hitler's brain or whether they saved Hitler's brain, you know, they're just so bad they're hilariously funny. That's not what I mean. These are movies that I really, really like that don't live up to the standards, the basic standards of, of drama and intelligence and all this. And the first one has to be, has to be Roadhouse. I don't know if, I, I seem to remember talking about Roadhouse once at the very, very beginning of the show, but I love this movie. I once watched this movie twice in two days. You know, it was on one of those movie shows that replay the movie, and I sat down to dinner, and I went, oh, Roadhouse is on. So I sat and watched it. I sat down to dinner the next day, and I thought, oh, Roadhouse. My wife was out of town, obviously. <laughs> it would never have happened if my wife had been in town. But it is a, a story about a bouncer, and he comes to town, and he has to clean up the dirtiest town in the world. Patrick Swayze plays him, best movie the guy ever made. And there is something about this script. It is filled, filled with great lines. Here's just one. Kelly Lynch plays the stunningly beautiful doctor who keeps patching him up every time he gets hurt. So here's one of the great lines in the movie. Well, Mr. Dalton, you may add nine staples to your dossier of 31 broken bones, two bullet wounds, nine puncture wounds, and four stainless steel screws. That's an estimate, of course. I'll give you a local. No, thank you. Do you enjoy pain? Pain don't hurt. <laughs> pain don't hurt. That's <laughs> something every man should know that. Every man needs to know that pain don't hurt. There are a million great lines and a million great scenes, great fight scenes, great action, and it's hilarious. It's, it's hilarious, but at the same time, it's riveting. I just, I love the movie. All right. We'll be back tomorrow broadcasting from this dark space. I'll just float out, and then I'll float back in <laughs> again. We'll have more bad movies, more news, more commentary. The Clavenless Week is over. We're back, 
And we're here to, to bring this country to its final conclusion and the end of the republic. What can we do? But we'll go laughing all the way. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Come back again tomorrow. It'll be fun. Thank <laughs> you.